0: Revelation chapter 2 and at verse 12. Revelation 2.12, as we read this uh, letter to the church in Pergamum, verse 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone, that no one knows except the one who receives it. Well, we come to our third installment of our look at the churches in Asia. And uh, we have been seeing that they are a a rough sketch of the churches in all ages. Uh, That the issues that were faced by the churches in Asia we're typical of what is faced by churches down through the centuries. And certainly that is no not, uh, there's no exception to that in this letter that we're looking at uh, this morning, the church in Pergamum. Last week we s- saw the church in Smyrna, and it was one of those churches that Jesus didn't speak anything negatively about, uh, but commended them. Uh, he uh Spoke of their tribulation and their poverty, though they, are, they were rich. We saw that uh, we were to also have an eye to the riches that we have in Christ. That's so fundamental to us, because when we realize the riches that we have in Christ, we are not then tempted to take godless, a godless course to satisfy ourselves with the riches of this life when we're satisfied in God. And so he speaks to the church in Smyrna in similar ways as to the church in Pergamum. In Smyrna, he speaks of the fact that Satan was at work in the local synagogue. We saw how Satan was working through the local Jewish synagogue to rob the local Christians of their protection, of their kind of umbrella-like protection that they had coming under the the Jews of that area, saying that that uh, basically that we were worshiping God and that that they were uh, under the same. Uh, level of protection and the Christians did enjoy that protection for some time until some of the Jews went to the local government and said, these people are not like us. And then they came under uh, the Roman persecution. So Jesus describes them as a the synagogue of Satan. In other words, that, that these local Jews were uh, under the Uh, influence of Satan himself. When we come to Pergamum, we see that the Christians there are contending with many of the same things. He says to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. Remember I said that each introduction is setting the scene for what's to come. When he wrote to Smyrna, He says, the words of the first and the last, the one who died and came to life. He was trying to say to them, you too will face imprisonment. Some of you will be put to death. But, don't let that be the ultimate concern in your life. You may think, well, what is more ultimate than that? Uh, Surely that is an ultimate concern for us. Uh, and, And yet, Jesus is saying, I too died and now I live, and I'm speaking to you, and I hold the keys of hell and of death. So the church were to be willing to suffer the persecution of their local environment because they were under the care of Him who died and now lives again. That was to set the tone for the letter. Here, he is speaking of the fact that he... The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now why does Jesus say this? Well, uh, you remember I said that the churches uh, were described in in ways that uh, tapped into some of their local characteristics. And uh, Pergamum was a, a city of Rome which had been given the power of capital punishment. In other words, the sword. And the Roman sword was described with a tongue-like appearance in its inscriptions, in its, in its descriptions. But Jesus is coming along saying there is something more powerful than even the authority of Rome. Was Jesus saying that you ought not to pay attention to the authority of Rome? He was not saying that. Neither does He seek for us to overthrow the powers that be today. But nevertheless, the powers that be in that city were seeking to impose upon Christians something that was against their conscience. And so Jesus is saying, I myself have the ultimate power and authority to which you ought to listen to. Peter said that when he said it's better to be... Obey God than man. Paul said the same when he, he's, he described the Gospel when he's writing to the Romans. He's writing to the church in Rome. He's saying that the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. So, these writers are suggesting that there is a higher authority that we ought to be concerned with. And that we ought to fear. Jesus Himself says, fear not Him who is able to destroy the body and cannot do any other. But fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That is God. And so Jesus sets the tone for the church of Pergamum by coming to them with this warning. With this description. That though there is much to commend them, which we'll see in a moment, yet there is something which is of such grave concern that if it's not dealt with, it will spell spell the end of their church. And it will bring on the very judgment of Jesus Himself. I will come and war against you. Just as it was in Numbers 25, which Jesus is referring here to later when He describes Balaam. What happened? What happened when the children of Israel indulged in the religion of their local neighbors? When they imbibed the idolatry and sexual immorality, it brought upon them the death of 24,000 people and two very prominent people who sought to flaunt their rights before Moses and before God Himself. And Jesus is using the same language. This whole idea of saying, well, we find a different God in the New Testament compared to the Old. No. We do not. That's why Jesus in these letters it, it borrows that, those same uh, 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 accounts from the Old Testament and saying, look, just as it was, so it will be. That God's view of immorality and idolatry and the witness of His people, He is as passionate about it now as He was then. But He comes to them first and foremost, first of all, with a commendation. (coughs) He says, in verse 13, I know where you dwell. I know where you live. Uh, hopefully, no one has ever said that to you. Uh, it's, it's got a kind of an ominous ring. And so if somebody says to you, I know where you live, you, you ought to lock your doors that night. Uh, you maybe uh, ask your neighbors to keep an eye on your house. But that's not the way Jesus is using it here. He's saying, I understand society in which you live. I understand how hard it is for you to bear witness to me in, in the culture in which you live. I know where you live. I know that your, every move you make is connected to uh, the society as a whole. And to get ahead, you must get along. You must, as was the case with Smyrna, take that little pinch of incense every so often and throw it in the, on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. And even though it is a pinch to the society around you, it is, a, it is like death to call you to do something like that. And so the, the believers in Smyrna would not do that and as a result, they came under the wrath of those around them. And that's the culture in which those that the church has to live in Pergamum. Jesus is saying, I know that this is the domain of the devil. Jesus is up front. He's honest about the devil. He spoke of the devil much in His own ministry. Jesus called him the prince of this world. Paul called him the ruler of the kingdoms of the air. Peter said that the the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus wasn't underestimating the power of the devil. He was calling his church to be aware of Satan's activity in the institutions of our world. That he just doesn't go around like in a Hollywood depiction with as a red creature with a pointy tail and a pitchfork. Hollywood trivializes the devil. And oftentimes we buy into that. And we cannot. Jesus is being upfront about the fact that the power of darkness is at work in this world. And they are living under His shadow. That's how close they are. Jesus is really getting across to them, look, I know how... On top of you, He is. You're living in His shadow. That's how close. He's not like down the road or down the block or over the next town. You're under His shadow. And so He was close. He was real. And He was active. He was not only living in... Pergamum. He was ruling Pergamum. Jesus talks about Satan's throne. And so, uh, uh, the, the, the spiritual realities were real. And Jesus is impressing that upon them. And Jesus wants them to know that He knows and that He understands. Now, it doesn't have to be you living in a particular city. You can be living under Satan's shadow at work or in a family or at school where you're surrounded by people who don't understand your faith, people who mock your faith, ridicule you for your faith, maybe uh, uh, disadvantage you because of your faith. Well, such and such believes this, therefore they should not be promoted. They're not worthy of getting this promotion because they believe this about that. In our prayer notes last week, we saw a church, uh, the, the churches in Vietnam where the government is imposing very severe restrictions upon uh, uh, Bible schools, for example which along with teaching their curriculum must also teach the revolutionary history of Vietnam. So it's not just teaching about Jesus, it's teaching about Hu Chi Minh. It would be not just teaching about Jesus, it would be teaching about Fidel Castro if you were in Cuba. Or Stalin and Lenin if you were in Russia. Or, or uh, the... Uh, the uh, The the Kims in North Korea. Imagine if you were having to teach that. And so the, the, the schools there, from Voice of the Martyrs, they say failure to do so would result in the closing of the training institution. That's going on right now. That's living under Satan's shadow. But it manifests itself in many, many ways in many, many places. That's why Jesus uses the word the seven churches because it's a perfect representation of the church in all ages. And Jesus understands where we are. He says, I see you at work. I see you at school. I see you in that family. I see you with those associates. I understand what you're up against. But Jesus does not use that as an excuse to give them a pass. Sometimes we see Jesus as hard that way. Come on, Jesus, give me a, a little rope here. Give me a little room. You don't understand how difficult it is at work or at home or, or um, when my friends or the school that I go to. You don't understand what they're laying on me and so on. Jesus says, I see where you are. I know where you live. But, there is something greater than even this life. And the applause of this life or getting ahead in this life. It is being faithful to Me. And this is what Jesus is commending them for yet you hold to My name, and you did not deny My faith even in the days of Antipas, My faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And so he was commending the church in Pergamum. He was saying you you have held to the truth. The Gospel, as Jude says, once delivered to the saints. It doesn't evolve. It doesn't change because it's 2022. It is the faith once delivered to the saints. That is that Jesus died according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised again according to the Scriptures. That He was seen by over 500 people at one time. That His death was the source of salvation for the world. That His, his uh, uh, resurrection was the hope of the world. And that in believing in Him and trusting in Him, we have eternal life. That's what the people at Pergamum believed. That's what they held to. And that's why Antipas died. He is the faithful witness. Now, Jesus describes, is described in the same way in chapter 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Antipas is commended because he is like Jesus. He is a faithful witness. It cost Jesus his life to bear witness to God's salvation. Antipas said, I can do no no less. You and I can do no less. That's where the rubber meets the road, friends. That's where we take this faith out into the workplace, out into our homes, wherever we are, and say, "I, I am a believer now this isn't a game. I can't just throw out my Christian faith at the coffee, uh, in the coffee room or over the water cooler just to get along. No, I can't even secure my own job for that, uh, to, just to get along. I am a believer. Truth is God's truth. And this is how Antipas, was willing to face his end as a faithful witness. Jesus is praising him. He's naming him in this letter. He's pointing him out saying, Antipas, he is faithful. He was faithful in Pergamum. He was faithful when the government came looking for him. He was faithful when his colleagues took a stand against him was faithful to me. And Jesus is delighting in that. He's commending that to the people of Pergamum who remain. And so uh, 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 Jesus is uh, holding that out to them and he's encouraging them that this has been their history. That they have uh, uh, kept the faith. You hold fast my name. That means you hold fast to who I am as Savior, as Lord. You weren't willing as some to put that sprinkle of incense on the fire and say, Caesar's Lord. No, you were holding to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas. And so they understood the cost of preaching another faith. They understood the cost of compromising the truth of God, and so they would not do it. Antipas wouldn't do it. The Apostle Paul in Galatians said, if we or an angel from heaven should preach unto you another gospel than what has been delivered, let him be accursed. That's pretty strong, strong stuff. Let him be eternally condemned. Why? Why does he use such strong language? Because there is one Gospel that is able to save and only one. That Jesus died for sinners. And He rose again for their justification. And Paul is saying, you Galatians, I worry about you because you are in danger of being enticed, seduced by another way of salvation. And the people at Pergamum understood this. They, so they held fast at the cost of their own life. And so, he, His name is memorialized for us in Scripture. Does the Bible not say that those who stand for God, that they're, they're, they will shine out like stars in the heavens forever? That is true of Antipas. Is it it true of us? Does our faith cost us anything? Or are we we always dodging those questions and those conversations at work or at home or whatever just for the peace? Would people be able to say of us, as it was said of Antipas, my faithful witness? At your funeral, would the person preaching your funeral be able to say, She was a faithful witness to Christ. Well, what do you mean? Well, she believed in the Gospel and it cost her. It cost them as a couple. They lost friends over it. They lost a job over it. They devoted the resources of their home and their lives to propagating the name of Jesus and the, the glory of the Kingdom of God. It cost them they were faithful. There was that trouble, that hurt that came in their lives and they were willing to forgive rather than hammer the person through, through uh, uh, slander for the rest of their lives. They released them. It cost them. They were faithful. They were faithful witnesses to the Gospel. Friends, that is something worth living for and more importantly, it's something worth dying for. That's what Antipas did. And that's what Jesus is commending the church at Pergamum for. And he is passionate about that. And he's emphatic about that. But, just like anything, there's some things that need correcting. You go whether it's to a farm, to a construction site, or a hospital. Supervisor may come in and say, look, this is very good. You're doing this very well. But, you see this over here? If you don't change this, this is going to lead to serious problems. If you don't reinforce this over here, that's going to lead to, you know, the structure being compromised over time. And Jesus is doing that as the doctor, as the shepherd when He comes to His church. Remember we said at the first, Jesus doesn't come as a policeman. He doesn't come as a, 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 someone hammering His churches, He comes as one walking among the candlesticks, observing, healing, warning, helping, inspiring, so that they may face the challenges of living in the culture in which they do. We need to be ready for that too as Jesus walks among this candlestick. As He walks among our church and draws attention to our own propensity to compromise with the world around us. Leading to no church. Leading to something that, is, that offers nothing to the world. Offers nothing to the lost. Offers nothing to broken sinners. And so that's what Jesus is concerned about. He says, that faith which Antipas died for, which you have been holding forth, that's in danger because of something that's going on in your midst. He says, you have some there, there were some people in the church who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. This goes back to the story that we outlined earlier on. Jesus has no qualms about saying, look, the same thing is going on. And if things don't change, then the severity of God will be manifest among you as it was in Numbers 25, in that same account. Some of them were going off and worshiping in pagan churches, in pagan religions. They were succumbing to idolatry and sexual immorality. Sexuality saturated the culture as it does today. Everything is driven today by sexuality. We have a a, a whole country in uproar in the United States over this question of abortion. Because there was this sexual revolution in the 1960's which is now driving this whole push for sexual freedom and sexual expression. And for a court then to come and say, we are passing this down to the states. This is not a constitutional issue. That is a complete attack on the religion of a sexually saturated culture. As it was here, it was so sexually saturated that the people in Pergamum were going off and giving a nod to what was going on in some of these other places. Participating in that. That was happening in Corinth as well. Paul was was, uh, uh, attacking that. You cannot serve God and the devil. You cannot eat at the table of the Lord and the table of devils they were going off and compromising with the culture around them in very, very uh, immoral ways. And so, this was true of them as it was of the people of early Israel. Compromise, in other words, was creeping in. Blurring the lines. That is as I say, over the last number of weeks. Taking over in many quarters of the church. Where the things that the Bible speaks clearly about are now celebrated in churches. Where churches lead pride parades. Where the gay flag is flown in churches where all of these things are coming to the fore and the church is embracing them because there is this idea that to be accepting, that 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 the highest expression of God's love is simply to be accepting of whatever. You see? And I say this, I don't say this to be a broken record or be harsh, but I'm simply saying that it is true that The issues that face the church then face the church now. And in many places, it's proving our undoing. There is nothing to separate us then from the world. And in order to... because the church has decided that acceptance is the highest expression of love, then the walls have fallen. Love is in the Bible expressed by putting borders around things. Just like fire is used properly by putting a hearth around it. We, we love our children by saying you can't eat that. You must be in at a certain time. You can't play with that boy down the street. You, you have to wear a coat if it's 20 degrees outside. Love puts parameters around things. It doesn't knock the walls down and say love is love, acceptance is God, and therefore let's live the way we want. Jesus is unequivocal about that. And perhaps Pergamum, in their desire to show the love of Christ, to show... were. Allowing these things to go on in their midst. Tolerating that. Jesus is unequivocal. He says no. If this doesn't change, if, if, if people in the church do not repent, I will come and I will war against... Look at the language He uses. With the sword of my mouth. We must be careful then that the world is... Not getting into our church and getting into our thinking. I'm always having to catch myself in that, in conversations with people. As I'm listening to the news, and as I'm, as I'm uh, you know, listening to other people, I'm saying, how do I feel about this and why do I feel uncomfortable in putting forth a Christian position on this? Why do I feel uncomfortable? You, you, we've, we've all been listening to the news lately. What's going on down in the United States. We've been listening to the stories and all these sorts of things. And Maybe you find yourself hearing stories on one side or the other saying, oh, you know what? That, that person's got a point. And we find ourselves wrestling with these questions. And that's, that's fine. We ought to wrestle we ought to think through. But at the end of the day, God, the faith of the Word of God, what God thinks of us and what we are to believe is governed by God's Word. No matter how uncomfortable it makes us. And so, uh, the church in Pergamum were tempted, I think, to allow those in some, some of those in the church to go unchecked to be going off to the the local temple, to worship the local gods, to engage not only in the idolatry, but often in the sexual immorality that was connected with those religions. Just as we are called upon to give a nod to the sexual revolution that has been going on for the last 50-60 years in Western society in order to get along, Just say it. That's all we want. You see, and it becomes very subtle. And it begins to affect everything. Infect our institutions of education and entertainment and the workplace. That one issue Becomes the issue as to whether you survive in any of those anymore. This was the challenge of Pergamum. That there was, the faith was not just that Jesus died for sinners, but what is sin anyway? If you don't tell people what sin is, then they'll say, why do I have to repent of it? If the church on one hand were saying Jesus is Lord and Jesus died for sinners, yet was turning around and, and winking at and, and giving a, 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 a nod to the sexual immorality that was in the culture, but also in the church itself. Jesus was saying, you're sealing their fate. You're telling them that's, that doesn't have to be repented of. That that's Okay. That it's okay to turn the truth of God about male and female into something that people make up. That was the challenge in Pergamum. He says, look, you are adhering to the teachings of Balaam, no less. Balaam, who also was motivated by the devil himself. So he, says, he counsels them. He says, you must repent. Or I'll come and war against you with the sword of my mouth. See friends, you know, why does Jesus talk so harshly and strongly? Because the future of the church is at stake. This is why God, Jesus has to come sometimes like a physician and say, this is cancerous. And if, you, if this cancer is not taken out, you will die. The church will die. The individual will die. Your witness will die. And so if that is not the case, then Jesus has no alternative. Does he? What would you say? Does he have an alternative? Is there another way for Jesus? Can't he just put a band-Aid over it? Can't he just get with the program and say it's 2022? Can't he just understand a little bit about where we are as a culture? Doesn't He know that love is love? And that acceptance is really the highest expression of love? Jesus says, no. We don't have that right to make those definitions. So He comes and He he speaks, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of My mouth. He who has an ear, to hear. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Last bit we are going to speak about at the table. Let's pray. Lord our God, we have dealt with heavy matters here. But Lord, You have shown us in Your Word through the language, the strong language, the strong imagery, that these are not light matters. You have opened Your heart to us, O God, and shown us the things that are important to You. You have shown us Your mind. O Father, we confess that we become so acclimatized to this world we're like boats that start to take on water. Father, help us to also judge the severity of the reality of the situation in which we live. We thank You, Lord, that You know where we dwell. You know where we live. You're able to read the culture better than we can. Lord, help us not to act on our own whims, our own feelings, or our own desires for lord they will always lead us astray because we're always interested in self-preservation father may it be said of us what was said of antipas that we are faithful witnesses to the truth whatever it may cost us continue to bless us now O god each one and lead and guide us into your truth take away our sins for jesus sake amen